We're coming to the end of dry January. Whether you participated or not, it's an undeniable phenomenon. We talked to Sean Goldsmith about the zero proof and industry trends. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Sean Goldsmith, co-founder of The Zero Proof, importer and distributor of non-alcoholic beverages with the taste of classic wines and spirits. Welcome, Sean. Thanks, Liz. Happy to be here. Well, so we are here in January, which is our dry January time. So tell me a little bit about dry January and why you think that it's an important thing. So dry January started around a decade ago in the UK. It was a big British initiative and it's since uh, come over to the US. And dry January is simply a bunch of people take up to drop alcohol for the month. And I refer to it as the the Super Bowl for people in my line of work selling these premium non-alcoholic beverages. <laughs> because depending on the stats that you look at, hundreds of millions of people participate in dry January. So you see a definite uptick in consumption of these products. And as you've probably seen, and as we're doing today, lots and lots of media around the subject as well. So it just, it gets bigger and bigger every year. And for myself and, and my friends in the industry, the 2023 dry January was was definitely one for the record books. Well, in New Orleans, of course, giving up alcohol for Lent is a very big thing. So do you see another uptick during Lent right before no. Christmas? I'm not Christmas, Easter? I, I haven't looked specifically at that time period, but I will. And unfortunately, the general trend has just been up. And, you know, in, in addition to dry January, there's sober October now. And it seems like every month is a new made up holiday not to drink, but, you know, I'll, t- I'll take it. <laughs> and also, you know, for the for the New Orleans folks that I know are, are fond of cocktails and, and, and many folks, there's what's known as damp January, which is really just a more, more mindful relationship with alcohol during, during the month of January. So if you think dry January might be jumping in the deep end, you know, you can tiptoe into, into damp January and just mix some of these drinks in. So damp as opposed to wet. I see. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, so Sean, tell me a little bit about how you came to found the Zero Proof. So when I was living in New York City, I came back from a long weekend down to South Beach and, you know, had had partied a little bit and came back and was just very tired and took took a week long break from booze and just noticed how great I was feeling sleeping better, dealing with stress better. And 
just overall a sunnier demeanor. And around the same time as I was reevaluating my re relationship with alcohol, my, my best friend from high school, Trevor Wolf, my co-founder, he did uh, Whole30, which is a very restrictive diet and doesn't include alcohol. So we just started having conversations about not drinking and how we felt great. And then we saw the, these drinks, these premium non-alcoholic spirits, which was, a, which was a very small, small part of the beverage scene back then and has since really grown dramatically. But we were curious. We, we wanted something better to drink ourselves since we were not drinking booze. And that led us to launch a, a blog, thezeroproof.com to talk about these products and get to know more about the market. And fast forward, geez, I guess four years from those initial conversations. And we've launched a, a pretty, pretty serious e-commerce business on the blog. We continue to publish lots of content and we've also become the, the importer and U.S. distributor. We think are, are really wonderful. Well, I, I think that one of the appeals to me of these beverages is that they are not sort of sickly sweet the way so many mocktails are. Yes. Do you think that that is a more general appeal to a lot of people or is it just me? A hundred percent. And, and uh, I always take the opportunity to, to kill the word mocktail um you know, we uh we like to call them non-alcoholic cocktails because to your point they are much more sophisticated much more adult uh you know there's there's nothing to mock about them and the number one reason that this trend of non-alcoholic drinks is accelerating is is wellness and mm -hmm. when people aren't drinking alcohol which obviously has a health benefit in and of itself they also don't want to load themselves with sugar and a bunch of fake ingredients. So, so very much it, it plays a role in that. It makes me really think about prohibition. And when people were, of course, once you take something away from people, they want it. So the, the drinking that was done during prohibition was often very sweet and often very cream loaded because mm -hmm. the alcohol itself was so harsh that the only way to kind of get it down was to cover up the, the harshness with sugar and cream. And that led to a lot of cocktails after prohibition that were very sweet and loaded with cream. So it's kind of nice to have something that gives you a kind of sophisticated taste without needing all of that to cover up the horribleness of the drinking of the alcohol. Absolutely. And, and because there's no alcohol in, in these wines and these spirits, really all you have to focus on is flavor. So that becomes your focus is just how can I make the best tasting drink for people because they're not drinking it for a buzz and you, know, you can make a non-alcoholic gin and tonic or a non-alcoholic bourbon and soda and it'll only have a handful of calories so it's definitely a healthy drink 
So let's talk about non-alcoholic wines for, for a moment. So I, I know that, I mean, I can remember when I first started drinking, you could go to the grocery store and get non-alcoholic wines. Basically, they tasted like grape juice. And so how is it that the wine industry has adapted to this by making non-alcoholic wines that actually taste more like wine? Well, it's it's really just a matter of of focus and and desire. Before what I call the kind of non-alc 1.0, the the beers and wines of of yesteryear, the market was people in recovery or people that couldn't drink for medical reasons. And you know, today, eighty two percent of the people that are consuming these drinks are alcohol drinkers. So, you know, they're they care about the experience. And so anytime there's a larger addressable market and and frankly, a profit opportunity, people start paying attention and, and putting more effort in. So, you know, with the wines, everyone is using a process, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are using a process called vacuum distillation, which allows you to remove the alcohol at a temperature just above room temperature. So very, very low temperatures within a vacuum. So you're saying it is actually fermented and then the alcohol is removed. Absolutely. It's a very serious process where you you put a lot of effort into choosing the right varietal or the right blend to go into the dealkalization process. Um, And because you can remove the alcohol at such a low temperature, it's it's a gentle process. You're not just putting it in a vat and boiling it off. Mm-hmm. And that leaves you with um, with a dealkoholized wine that is much more representative of the real thing. So is it is it aged at all? Is it aged before the alcohol is removed, or how does that work? It certainly can be, but once you do remove the alcohol, it becomes a a more fragile mm-hmm. liquid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily fare well, say, uh, you know, 10 years in an oak barrel after, after you remove the, right. the booze. Right. Yeah. I, I could, I could see that. Um, oh, I, I think that there's been to me of, of all of the non-alcohol products that, that wine has improved more than almost anything because it now tastes like wine, uh, even though it's it's non-alcoholic, as opposed to what it used to taste like, which was grape juice, basically. It uh, it has come a long, long way, and you know, people like myself are are devoting their entire lives to finding and developing these products and improving them. And we have a couple brands. One is called Ish that we import from Copenhagen, Denmark. Mm-hmm. They do some amazing sparkling wines. Another is Oddbird that we bring in from Sweden that is uh, almost exclusively non-alcoholic wines. They And they have a full range and they're all just very excellent. And I will say at the moment, sparkling wines, I think are delivering on the experience a little bit better. And that is because the the bubbles, the carbonation, add some of that volatility to the experience that the alcohol typically would. Right. So it transports the flavor and really gives you that uh, 
that champagne drinking experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you give that kind of champagne to children? Well, these are adult beverages, mm-hmm. um, but sure you could, um, you know, and, and for the record, everything that we sell on the zero proof is, is under half a percent. Um, so if, if one is comfortable with a, with a child consuming up to half a percent, you know, give, give them a tasty, uh, a tasty adult experience. Okay. So what about fortified wines? So can you get a Madeira or a port or a sherry or something like that? I haven't seen those and probably the reason is because the non-alcoholic market while growing incredibly rapidly is still very small compared to the alcohol market. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the stats, some people say it's you know, half a percent to a percent as large as the alcohol market. So just so we can, so we can put food on the table, you know, it's better to focus on larger categories like a, like a gin, a bourbon, a rum, uh, a Cabernet, but as the market develops, absolutely, you're going to see people start to really focus in on smaller, more specialty beverages, and and already you can find non-alcoholic Amarettis, Amaros. Um, so people are having some fun in the space and developing some some cool and funky drinks, and that is only going to continue. So let's say I want to give something a try, like in the non-alcoholic spirits world. And let's say I'm a, I'm a bourbon drinker. Um, Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I do this? It seems to me that drinking it neat is not going to be as satisfying as having it mixed with something else. So how do we put our toe in this water and say, this is something that I'd like to try, but I want to try it in a way that is going to be positive as opposed to tasting something and saying, I don't really like this. And then just forgetting about it. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of these non-alcoholic spirits are not made to be drunk neat. Um, they are specifically created to make cocktails. Um, so I would just pick, in the case of bourbon, your, your favorite cocktail, be it uh, an Old Fashioned or a Manhattan, and try it. Um, and it's usually, it's usually a one-to-one replacement with most of these spirits. So you can just make up your favorite tail recipe. And on our website, and also a lot of the different brands' websites, they do a very good job of providing fantastic recipes. So you can try a few things and find one that fits your taste and your flavor profile. But these spirits are, are so good. You know, We have tequilas where you make a margarita and you won't be able to tell the difference. And a rum where you make a daiquiri and, and we have done this. We have video of people trying these and they think they're drinking alcohol. Um, so, so they really, really do a good job of, of that cocktail experience of providing that cocktail experience. So in those films where people are drinking daiquiris or margaritas and they don't know that it's non-alcoholic, 
Do they act as though they've been drinking several margaritas or daiquiris? Or does it does it change people's behavior when they know that it's non-alcoholic or or not no? We we haven't filmed somebody long enough to uh to see, you know, <laughs> beginning to two hours later. But um but I have heard I have heard stories of you know people having a keg of non-alcoholic beer and not telling anybody. And sure enough, yeah, people start uh dancing a little bit more loosely and singing at the top of their lungs. Um, but I will say, and this is something that I, I have personally seen and experienced, I do a lot of tastings with, with customers and distributors and restaurants. And if you have a few of these drinks, you know, let's say we, we drink a glass of sparkling wine and then I mix up a few cocktails to taste. After a few of these drinks, you do get a little bit of a, a rush, you know, you get, you get flush, you get a little bit of a tingle and, you know, you're, you're not feeling drunk and you aren't drunk, but there is this physical reaction where you do kind of warm up and feel a little loosey, loosey goosey happy. Yeah. Well, there is a little bit of alcohol. So I guess that some of it could be that, especially depending on how many you've had, but also I could imagine that it's, um, you know, if there's just the the happiness, the, place, and, the placebo. Yes, exactly, exactly the placebo effect of it, especially that that actually makes you think that it must taste very, very good in order for that to happen. So that's yeah. probably a good a good sign. You'd have to have a lot of these non-alcoholic cocktails to. Uh, I mean hundreds and hundreds before you could even equal a, uh, you know, a cocktail or two. So I, I think it is very much just people are, people are hardwired to, you know, going through that experience of lifting glass to mouth and having a few drinks, you know, you, your body is used to this physical expression. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, it probably could change if, if you were describing the small percentage of the whole market that this uh, non-alcoholic alcohol represent, non-alcoholic spirits represent. Um, if that were to change so that some people actually never drank, um, you wonder whether if they were, they never had that other experience, whether they would have the same placebo effect. Yeah. Um that is that is interesting. And speaking to that point, the stats on Gen Z are just incredible with their drinking habits. I'm gonna I'm gonna they're close to the truth, but I'm gonna give myself a little bit of leeway to uh, get them wrong by a point or two. But forty percent of legal drinking age Gen Z does not drink alcohol and at all mm-hmm. and. And another 20 to 25% drinks once every two to three months. So close to two thirds of the youngest drinking age population doesn't drink. So past past the point of is there that placebo effect? Another big question is, do they want a non-alcoholic bourbon or gin? Because they've never had bourbon or gin or do they just want an interesting adult flavor, you know, a more challenging drink that doesn't have uh, an analog in the alcohol world? Right. That's really, really an interesting 
uh, statistic. And it does make you wonder where the whole industry is going. That's amazing. Is that worldwide or is that only in America? That's that's a U.S. stat. Okay. But but the trend the trend does generally hold where the younger generations are just drinking less. They're smoking more pot. They're dabbling in psychedelics. So they're still getting a getting a buzz of sorts. But alcohol is just you know generalizing here, falling out of favor. Yeah, they're they're probably chewing gummy, eating gummies, and um, doing that too. Not all you know if they don't want to smoke, for example. They- yeah, that shows how that shows how old I am. I still talk about smoking marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's great. But it seems to me that there's an opportunity to develop much more sophisticated drinks that are non-alcoholic that don't have to actually have an analog in the alcoholic world. Flavors that are really, really different, but that could make for a very interesting, sophisticated adult drink, but that really are not trying to mimic something that is known as an alcoholic drink. Yeah. And, and there are some of those out there and they're quite good. Um, one of the brands that we bring over to the States is called Mista, G-N-I-S-T-A. And the founder, Erica Holen, lives on this farm in the southern tip of Sweden and started making this drink from a lot of the products, a lot of the, the plants and produce on her farm and just hand distilling them into this very handcrafted, very complex drink. Um, her first flavor was called floral wormwood, which has rhubarb and uh, 30 different ingredients, ginger, oak, and you taste it. And it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. It's kind of a, kind of a vermouth meets an Amaro. And I've seen people use it in tequila cocktails and bourbon cocktails and just spritzing it. And, uh-huh. you know, Gia is another, it's a non-alcoholic aperitif that is kind of in a, it's citrus and bitter and, um, you know, follows those kind of Campari classic aperitivo notes, but without trying to, to be it. Um, so yeah, they're, they're out there and, and popular, but I think they will probably continue to, that category will continue to expand within non-alc. So one of the things that I have many times been asked to contribute recipes to our alcohol-laden foods so that it's mm-hmm. not just a drink. It's something that um, is flavored by alcohol, but it's eaten. It isn't drunk. And, you know, I think people are all familiar with the pasta sauce that has vodka in it and mm-hmm. um, um, different kinds of desserts that are flamed, like Cherry's Jubilee or Bananas Foster or something like that. Um, have you ever tried cooking with these non-alcoholic spirits? I'm, let's forget about flaming because I know flaming is going to have its own issues, but um, something like using the a non-alcoholic vodka in a pasta sauce, a, a vodka pasta sauce. Uh, I have not done that. However, so I personally have not, but I'm, I'm always on social media, just 
following the trend because there's a, a very rabid fan base and a very communicative fan base. So I'm always just seeing what they have to say. Uh -huh. And I've seen people talking about using different non-alcoholic spirits um, in, in cooking. And actually, one of my neighbors here in Atlanta, I gave him a bottle of, of Nista, but the other expression called barreled oak, which is a richer, smokier, more of a bourbon type drink. And he used it to glaze salmon um, uh -huh. to give it some extra flavor. And, and yeah, I think I think you would need a non-alcoholic spirit that really has a, a strong body to cook with and, and the Nistas do. Yeah, I mean, I think I have been asked to develop recipes in that category simply because you might use a cup of something or a large amount, whereas a drink mm -hmm. is an ounce or two. And so it, it can use up a lot more of the spirit. And so people, sure. think, well, this is going to sell, sell more. <laughs> I could see where um, people who might be afraid to give children the dish they've created because it has a lot of booze in it might be happy to use something like this. Yeah. And, and not just for children, you know, people that, uh, people that don't want liquor in their right, food exactly. because they don't drink or, you know, for the night, they just don't want booze. Yeah. But yeah, next time, next time I'm in new Orleans, we can, uh, come up with some cool recipes in the oh, kitchen. We'll, we'll experiment a little bit. That would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we could turn it into a whole program and have people come and, and taste it. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd, I'd love to see how many uh, how many New Orleans folks show up to the non-alcoholic cooking demo. I think you would be surprised at how many people are at least putting a toe in the water and trying to see what it's like. Because I think, and of course, this is totally non-scientific, but I think that a lot more people are either saying, I'm going to drink this just purely. So it may not be neat, but they might just do something over ice or something like mm -hmm. that. And yet, and and just enjoy that little bit of a sip that um, that they're having. Or they're, they're trying to um, go the other way where they're saying, I'm not drinking for the buzz. I'm drinking for the flavor. And so if you can give them the flavor without the buzz, I think that they would definitely adopt it, at least partially, if not all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say that kind of half joking, but I was I was just in New Orleans for Thanksgiving and saw a lot of the drinks that we sell around town. Like the Ace Hotel had a few of these premium non-alcoholic spirits and cocktails on their menu. And even at Galatoire's where we had Thanksgiving dinner, you know, they had non-alcoholic beer and I had them make me a spicy virgin bloody. So, you know, you can, you can find some options around, around New Orleans. Right. Right. And I, I think if you can sell it in New Orleans, that means that it tastes good because we have no, patience with things that are just trendy but that don't <laughs> taste good you know absolutely absolutely but no it was uh it was a lot of fun to see some cool places around town you know paying attention to to the trend yeah so where do you see this going in the future do you just see it growing and if so how yeah so this this is very new 
And most of the companies are, are small startup companies. And we're starting to see these drinks make their way into the three-tier distribution system. Um, we're starting to see some larger investment in the space. And as that happens, as more money and more people get behind it, I think we're going to see this spread as, as alcohol would through the same channels in the same way, where I, I liken it to, to the rise of the vegetarian dish at a restaurant where 10, 15 years ago, if you weren't eating meat and asked for a vegetarian plate, they would just throw together every vegetable that they have in the back onto a plate and that was your dinner. And now to be taken seriously, you know, you've got to have a, a serious vegetarian option and 11 Madison Park, which is actually a customer of ours, you know, a three Michelin star best restaurant in the world is now a vegan restaurant. Um, so I think I think this non-alcoholic trend is very much going to follow that path where it was a small number of people asking for these options and it's just going to grow and grow very quickly to the point where it's it is now just part of taking care of your guests to provide these options. Mm -hmm. So you'll see it across grocery stores, you'll see it across bars and restaurants and in your liquor stores and more and more of these exclusively non-alcoholic bottle shops are popping up around the country. So, you know, really, really through all those channels. And then because these products aren't regulated, you know, you'll start to see them in gym. You know, we have customers that are gymnasiums. We have, um, we have furniture stores and retail stores. So, I mean, it's the, the potential is, is large. Yeah. I, I just think that it's um, it's great that it's reached a sophistication that it it tastes good because I, I keep going back to you know years and years ago with non-alcoholic wine, which just tasted horrible and and now feel that it that the industry has really begun to, mature in its flavor profiles. And I'm so excited to hear you talk about new things that are developing that are not just mimicking classic spirits, which I think is great because that means that it's here to stay. If it was just this kind of shadow of the spirits industry, always just reflecting what the spirits industry is doing, but taking the alcohol out of it, I think you know, okay, that's great. I'm glad it's there. But the idea that it's starting to actually develop its own flavors is really a sign that it's it's developing on its own, which is, I think, a terrific sign. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely here to stay and and still very very early days. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure having this conversation. Thank you so much, Liz. Great chatting with you. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.